Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. That's correct. Once a month or so, Joe Colley, ace reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, covers the Bulls beats, comes on the show. Everybody knows I'm a diehard Bulls fan. And uh, so, and then we have a lot of listeners there out there, Joe. We're a political show, but they love to hear you talk about the Bulls. So first thing, are you safe and sound and healthy and everything? I haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah, no, I've been up here in uh, my other house in Minneapolis. And, um, you know, obviously Minneapolis has been under uh, – from the COVID standpoint, a little ahead of Illinois. So we've been, uh, some of the guys I play basketball with, we've been playing basketball for about three weeks and we're trying to get little league up and running for my middle child and all that kind of stuff. So we've been, um, we've been good. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's fine. So, um, just kind of in this boat of kind of uncertainty, like everyone else. Yeah. And of course, uh, Minneapolis, uh, is, uh, where George Floyd, uh, used to live and, uh, it's been in the news a lot on another front, which we talked a lot about yeah. on the show. We'll get into uh, the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement on the NBA eventually. But let's uh, let's start with the Bulls. Uh, since the last time you were on the show, the Bulls season has rather unceremoniously come to an end. Uh, they just pulled the plug on the sucker. Uh, the Bulls will not be in the playoffs. Is that correct, Joe? Why don't you explain what's going on? Right, so they they have the uh, twenty two team uh, restart bubble. Um, it was based on obviously I think the teams that they felt were on that fringe and could have possibly made a playoff run if they would have continued the final fifteen games. Um, you know, you could argue if that's true or not, but basically they wanted to get Zion in some kind of postseason. That's what it comes down to. They wanted Zion Williamson in some kind of postseason thing because they know the attraction he is and, and the impact he's made. So, um, yeah, I mean, they took one extra team from the East and five teams from the uh, West and eight teams. Sorry, see you next year. Be better. And so the Bulls the Bulls are one of those teams, obviously. And, um, you know, now they are petitioning the NBA um, as far as trying to get something going with those eight teams, whether it's some kind of summer league type thing in Vegas comes – you know, September or if some kind of scrimmages between the teams or at least allowing the individual teams to have an extended training camp in September, like for a month to get together and work on things. Um, but again, the NBA has, has to approve that. There's still moving parts in there that you have to deal with with COVID. And then the Players Association has to approve it. So um, still a lot of uncertainty as far as what they can do and the logistics of getting these eight teams up and running so they can at least be ready for the 2021 season, which, you know, could be at the beginning of December. Yeah, everything's up in the air. Uh, now, I thought, just listening to you there, uh, what you were saying, Joe, of like a, a NIT-type uh, tournament, you know, like a baby tournament as opposed to the big dance. Uh, do you think there's any chance that uh, the NBA may say, okay, eight teams, we're going to put you in your own little uh, <laughs> bad team tournament? And here's an idea. What if the winner gets the first pick of the draft? 
Well, that's what I said. I, I wrote that the other day that the A team should battle for the lottery. Hey. I mean, that way it gives you incentive. Um, it's a it's must watch. Then all of a sudden, instead of just you know junk TV that you know nobody wants to watch. And I think the nice thing is you could kind of see how things start in July in Orlando, and if things are working for those couple weeks, and then you get those teams to Vegas in September, and you have less teams, you have less moving parts, you have a smaller bubble to protect. Um, you know, Vegas was one of the original cities, but there, if you're bringing 22 teams, that's a lot of moving parts to keep an eye on with Vegas, where Orlando, that complex, is like a self-sustaining city in itself. Um, and I've written this, too. The, the, the problem, to me, you know, I know the Bulls were complaining and pissed about the fact, you know, hey, we're, we're kind of left out in the cold, and, you know, it doesn't really help this, this, this from a developmental standpoint. That's not where they get hurt. They get crushed, and the seven other teams along with them get crushed in the recruiting game. Because when you think about what USA Basketball has meant from recruiting, from LeBron, Bosch, and Wade back in 2008, Mm -hmm. planning that for two years to come together in 2010, Jimmy Butler and Kyrie Irving trying to get together in Minnesota in 2014 it was, and that was from their Olympics, um, or 2016, that was from their Olympic friendship that they built. So... Now you have 22 of the top teams and with the top players on there all in this bubble where they can go golf, they can go out to eat at restaurants, they can go there, and they're still in the bubble. Yeah. And the friendships that are going to be built that people might not see coming and, and, and guys getting to know each other in ways they haven't known each other, who knows what that does for the recruiting game. And, I mean, forget tampering. This is going to be a free-fall Wild West in Orlando. And, and the Bulls, unfortunately, won't be involved in that. And, okay, no big deal. It's not a great free agent class for 2020. But as we've seen, these guys playing years down the road. Yeah. And the 2021 free agent class is historic. It is an historic, organizational, seismic-changing free agent class. And the Bulls might not have one damn say in any of those guys or any relationships built. Nothing. That's what, to me sucks if you're a Chicago Bull today. Which I am a huge Bulls fan. And let's just uh, take a point to mourn, uh, since you you sort of raise a general topic. The Chicago Bulls had an opportunity to be players uh, in this game. Jimmy Butler, who is a superstar, made it clear yep. that he wanted to stay in Chicago and use his prominence, his celebrity, his charisma yep. to attract other celebrity superstar basketball players to the Bulls to make it a must play place and the bulls what did they do joe collie they traded jimmy butler so they traded him yes and i well, think well they lied to him they told him they first they told him hey that sounds like a great plan you could go with mark Wahlberg to europe for that movie trip don't worry you're fine you're fine then they traded him <laughs> <laughs> doubling down on a bad decision and by the way all right so uh let's just about put this on the top to talk about if Zach Levine can play that role, that Jimmy Butler role. We'll get to Zach. But let me ask you this. Let's say the the NBA listened to you and said, you know, Collie may be right. Let's let's have a, uh, a a tournament in Vegas with the eight teams that will be playing for the number one draft choice. All right, Joe, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. If you're the Chicago Bulls management and you see the stakes in this baby tournament, which could be the number one pick in the NBA draft, would you retain 
Jim Boylan as your coach to lead the Bulls in that tournament? Or would you uh, hurry up, accelerate the process, and bring in a new coach to lead the Bulls in that tournament? Go. Well, it, here's here I'll answer that. Has Philadelphia been eliminated from the big boy tournament? I mean, because that's what this is predicated on. Is Philadelphia still playing? If Philadelphia is still playing in whatever's going on in Orlando, then I'm like, okay, Jim, now you get a chance. We actually get to see you coach games, real games. Um, because why rush it if the guy you want, is, is Toronto still playing? Is Adrian Griffin still an assistant with Toronto and they're still in a playoff push? So if both of those teams are still playing, I'm saying, all right, Jimbo, we're going to give you this opportunity. This is your dress rehearsal for us. Go prove something. And if Philadelphia has been eliminated and Philadelphia is out, I am immediately knocking on the door and, and, and moving forward, with whether it's Emea Duque or whether it's um, Adrian Griffin. Those are the two guys that are targeted. Those are the two guys I know that the rest of the league is talking about are targeted. And I think the Bulls, you don't, you don't drag your feet on it, um, but you definitely say, okay, this is what we're going to do. So as long as those two guys are still playing, I let Jim Boylan try and prove something to me. Uh, by the way, wouldn't that be something if Jim Boylan all of a sudden finds his inner Phil Jackson uh, and, and leads- they get hot with that <laughs> tournament? <laughs> oh, no. We-, we call that feet in a pickle. <laughs> oh, Lord. Then he renegotiates his contract. Uh, from a position of strength. Seven more years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, so, okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, we're, we're discussing uh, Boylan. Let's talk a little bit, Joe, about the Jim Boylan uh, legacy as coach of the Chicago Bulls, such that it is. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you, What's your evaluation of Jim Boylan as a coach? I personally like Jim Boylan. I, I, this is just from a personal standpoint. I think he's good with for the media. Um, I think he's been... Um, very accommodating to what we want to do. That's a personal standpoint. The, the coaching thing I can't get past. I don't care about what the orders were from your bosses. I don't care about the injuries. I don't care about the bar was set by this organization that winning matters and you can't have a 317 winning percentage and be retained with the new front office. You just can't. You just can't. As much as I'd like to have seen Jim had success, you can't. It can't. I mean, it just you, it, 317 is just not getting it done. And I don't care about what the circumstances were. I mean, that, that's this organization set the bar when they told Tom Thibodeau that your five, almost 600 winning percentage isn't good enough for us because of the demands that we felt you were putting on the organization. The the the, the foxhole mentality you built between the front office and, and the guys in that locker room, which, by the way, to me is a healthy thing for an organization. Um, but you said that Tom Thibodeau was not good enough and underachieved with what you felt was a championship roster, which wasn't, as we learned under Fred Hoiberg the following year. And so if that's where you set the bar as an organization and as an ownership group that is still the same ownership group, you can't say, well, 317 is good is a good enough winning percentage to retain you. You just can't. It sends a bad message. So um, from a coaching standpoint, professional standpoint, and the fact of you have a new front office who has the right to bring in their guy, um, I don't think you retain them. And 
and I don't think they plan on retaining him. I've reported that pretty consistently for a couple of weeks, and I've reported all along why this would not happen quickly, why they will take their time with it, and and how they want to handle this. And to me, they are handling this. Arturis Karnasovas and, and Mark Eversley, but mostly Arturis, is handling this thing perfectly. He is handling it perfectly on so many fronts with the ownership group that wants Jim Boylan and likes Jim Boylan, but is not putting pressure that Arturis has to keep Jim Boylan. From a perception standpoint, because the Bulls' reputation is awful, awful for the last 40 years, as the last dance showed us, going of how they treat coaches. Mm-hmm. And the perception is that Jerry Reinsdorf treats coaches and managers on the baseball side like nothing but commodities. And they can be moved, and the organization is bigger than them. And I think that is wrong, and I think that has sent a bad message for years and years and years where this job that should be ideal and should be a global brand hasn't been. so. Um, you know, I, I love the way Arturis is saying, okay, that's our reputation because he knows that coming from the outside. And here's what we're going to do to fix it. We're going to give a guy who's won 31 and change percent of his games an actual chance to sit down, talk to us eye to eye, talk to us about film, show us games, talk philosophy, and give him as much as a chance as, as we can to convince us he belongs here before we make a final decision on him. So, I mean, the, what that does is it sends a message to the league that, hey, this is a new way of business, and, and I think it's only a positive. All right. Now, let's talk about, uh, get a little more specific about Boylan. When we listen to you talk about that 31% uh, record, you're absolutely correct. To me, the more telling thing, or as telling, and we've talked about this in the past, Joe, is a Lori Markkinen's development or lack thereof this last year. Right. That perhaps the most disturbing trend uh, in the Chicago Bulls this year. When I think of all the disappointments, he opened the season, if you recall, I think it was Charlotte with a great game. Yeah, Charlotte. And, and great it was game. Yep. All, it was like 30 something points and 15 rebounds. Don't quote me. I just remember. And then it was like the end of that game was the tell-all for the rest of the season. He disappeared in like the last minute of the game. The Bulls lost. This is my memory. Joey, That he just disappeared this season. Just absolutely disappeared. It was a, a vanishing act. This is the, the forward that the Bulls really anticipated would be all-star potential at this stage of his career, the third year. What happened to Laurie Markin in this year? Well, I think it was kind of the perfect storm of bad. Um, you know, he and Zach Levine have never shown. I just wrote this today for 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 the bright one, and it's posted on the on the website. But he and La, he and Zach Levine, when you look at their individual skill set, you should say, okay, we have a off guard with playmaking skills, dominant athleticism, ridiculous ability out of pick and roll because he could shoot over the switch, he can attack, he can split the double team. Um, he can mess with the hedge. I mean, so many things Zach could do. And then you have the perfect skill set that matches that with Lowry Markinen, who could set a screen. He could pick and pop. He can post up a smaller person if they switch. It should be a lethal combination. But for some reason, those two, and I could count it on one hand, have, you know, there's been some injuries, obviously. But on one hand, I could think of maybe five games where they both played really well at the same time and the team won. And that's, that says something. They've been around together since 2017. 
you know, Larry Markin is the best basketball is when Zach is not playing or Zach is coming off an injury and Chris Dunn is the one facilitating for Lowry. And and to me that's that's problem number one. To me that's coaching having have has to figure out how to put them in better situations. Number two, you have Lowry who became so despondent with the offense and the the, the coaching staff falling in love with analytics and taking away the mid range game and making him mostly pick and pop and just basically, a, as I put it, a seven-foot Doug McDermott just coming off a curl and waiting at the three-point line and then checking out in the second half when he doesn't get his touches. You know, an indictment of Larry Markin is there's a lot of games that were close that they couldn't even use him in the fourth quarter. So what does that tell you, that they went with Thad Young in crunch time over Larry Markin? So, yeah, he's, you can't have one of your best prospects and the piece you consider a foundation become an enigma you can't that's not a good way that's not a good direction for him to go now here's where it gets interesting mm-hmm. what if all right what if the bulls whether it's done by the play in tournament or it's done just by the luck of balls bouncing their way what if they land two or three in the lottery mm-hmm. now you got a dilemma do you draft a point guard that everyone thinks they would draft or do they go with a james weissman out of memphis 7-1 athletic rim protector runs the floor, probably on paper one of the better draft picks in a very weak draft. And do you go with him now knowing that Wendell Carter Jr. and Lowry Markinen now have to battle to see who's going to be better at that number four spot and one of those guys could be your, come off the bench? To me, that is the big question mark facing the Bulls, and that will tell you a lot. Do they ship one of those guys out? Because Wendell does want to be a center. He's made that very clear. I've written that story twice now where he's gone. He wanted to go to Jim Boylan at the end of the year if it was going to be a regular you know, exit meetings and regular season ending scenario and tell Jim, you know, I'll play the five if you need me to, but I'd rather be a four. And he said that was a conversation he wanted to have. So what do they do then? And so to me, that's when it becomes interesting. And then Lowry Markin sees really what his value is and how this organization you know, deems his, his relationship with them moving forward because, you know, they could give him a contract extension this, this off season if they want to. But what I think they'll, they'll do is, is wait and obviously let the market set a price on him like they do with a lot of their restricted free agents. All right. Now, uh, so you talked about Lori. Uh, let's talk about Zach Levine, the other part of that, the combination. I thought one of the few bright spots of an utterly dismal season was Zach Levine. And uh, what's your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, and so here's where I, I really like the way Zach grew as the face of the organization, the way he dealt with the media, um, took that pressure on of being that guy that knows he has to talk every day. Um, even though he wasn't voted captain, acted like a team leader. Um, I think he made strides in, in realizing he needed to be a, a better defender, um, improved his three-point shooting, you know, he did everything you could to say, okay, this guy's moving in the right direction. The question is, is that enough as a number one? Is your lead actor, is Zach Levine good enough to move the movie? And, you know, that's the thing they have to ask themselves is, you know, like to me, Zach Levine, like on the Lakers or Milwaukee or one of these upper echelon teams, you know, he's a third option maybe even fourth on a couple of those teams. He's a third guy, and a perfect guy, because you could have LeBron and AD kind of take their rest 
and stag, stagger the minutes and have Zach be that guy that comes in and leads the team then because he can do that. But is he good enough to be your lead actor for, for the Chicago Bulls? And, and, and that's still the unknown to me. I don't think he's a number one, but is he a good enough number two to attract a number one? Um, that's the big question. And I think he took strides in becoming that, but I don't think he's there yet. And the problem is maybe he gets there in a year or two, but that contract's up in two. So um, you're, you're kind of up against a window, and next year might be a really funky year. If your offseason is all you know, discombobulated and, and, and guys can't get together and actually compete for nine months and you're thrown in this mid-November training camp with two weeks to get ready for the season, and now they're talking about possibly shortening the season to stay on point with the calendar so that these guys can go to the Olympics, I mean, next year could be an asterisk, an asterisk year. And, 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 you know, and then you got one more year to judge this guy to see if you want to give him a contract extension. So um, it's really tough. It, it's a tough position they're going to be in with Zach. Um, and I'm anxious to see if he continues to move forward and, and reach that all-star potential or does, does the emergence of, of Kobe White make you say, eh, we got another combo guard that play makes and maybe we move from Zach sooner than later. So um, again, a lot of intrigue that still has to play out on that front. And uh, Kobe White, you mentioned him. Let's go to him. Uh, I was very frustrated with Boylan not starting him soon enough. We talked about that several times when you've been on the show. You've written about it. Uh, at the, yeah. I think the last game before the COVID break, or one of the last games, not literally. It was the last game was against the, Cleveland. Yep. Yeah, yep. Okay, finally got to start. Uh, so how do you – And a win, too, and they win, yeah. They yeah. won. Yeah, no, Kobe White, those last 10 games, I want to say, averaged over 20 points a game uh, and um, – Again, I, I tend to look at glass half full. It's the only way I get through being a Bulls fan uh, since Jordan left. So uh, what's your evaluation of Kobe White after uh, one after his rookie season? Well, do you want me to evaluate him as a point guard or as a two guard? Because we're going to get two different guys. Yeah. Okay, as a two guard? Yeah, yeah, hey, love it. Come off the bench. Um, you know, I don't think he's, he's not ready to jump Zach as a two guard and start. Um, so I have no problem with him sitting for a while and, and, and doing what he did. Um, but he can shoot it. He can get hot. He's the ultimate streaky scorer. Um, we saw what he did in that fourth quarter. I think it was against Phoenix or New York maybe where he went crazy in the fourth quarter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he could flat out microwave it up. And, and um, But the problem is when you evaluate him as a point guard, which he was drafted at, there's, that's what I have the problem with. I don't know if he's an NBA point guard. And, unfortunately, when he finally did get put in that position as a starter – we only got to see it one game, so we really don't know if he's a starting NBA point guard. Doesn't see the floor well. Doesn't have a lot of wiggle. He's fast. His straight line speed's ridiculous, but just doesn't have that point guard wiggle with the ball. Not the greatest ball handler. He's not, you know, he's not, you know, Steve Nash, and he's not, uh, you know, Jason Kidd when it comes to seeing the floor and making, getting the ball to his teammates in good positions, and 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 you know, doing what a point guard does, and. Um, so a scoring point guard, maybe he could turn into, but I think there's other things he needs to show. So, you know, I, how you're evaluating him is, well, where the hell are you playing him? Is a one or a two? And, and as a two, I think he showed a lot of promise as a shoot first, ask questions later type of guy. As a one, a lot of, he's got a lot of stuff to answer. And so, um, again, that's a guy that's probably hurt the most with the way the league shut down and, 
now possibly a nine-month layoff. So essentially, Joe, what you're saying is that the Chicago Bulls are just filled with uncertainty. Uh, yeah. And yeah. really, we don't, it doesn't, the next era doesn't start uh, until make, they make their decision about the coach. Right. Well, yeah, you, you, cause, because you have to decide what your philosophy is as a team. What are, what are we going to be? Are we going to be a defensive team? Are we going to be a score first? run the floor, ask questions later, team. Look, every you know, I get it. I get that the analytics guys fall in love with the three-pointer and say, oh, look, look at look at Golden State. Look what they've done, the three-pointer. That's great. It's just, it, it takes me back to Moneyball when I covered the White Sox all these years. Everyone, Moneyball, Moneyball, Moneyball. Moneyball, my ass. Moneyball was Tim Hudson, Mark Mulder, yes. and Barry Zito, three 20-game winners that weren't even in the movie. They were barely mentioned in the movie. And so I always thought that was funny. That 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 was Moneyball. Yeah. And to me, the Bulls are in the same thing when they fought, they fell in love with this three pointer, and they were I think they finished eighth in three point attempts, but twenty fourth or twenty fifth in three point shooting percentage. That to me tells me you don't understand your team, you don't understand your personnel. You're beating that square peg into the into the round hole, and it's not fitting. And so first you have to determine who's the coach. What's our philosophy and which players can best deliver on that? And when you have multiple guys at each position that you're unsure of, yeah, you're pretty uncertain. And when you bring in a new front office, everybody's at ground zero. It doesn't matter what, who was picked seventh two years ago. or, or you know, You're all ground zero. You all have to prove to Arturis and Mark that you're here. You can play winning basketball. and Because trust me, those cats are from organizations where – Best players play. Draft pick be damned. They've got both organizations they're coming from. They have guys that were undrafted who've become stars. So I mean, you know, I mean, you, you, your best players got to play. And so I think there's a lot of guys here that the front office fell in love with the old regime that were given the benefit of the doubt. Well, that that's gone now. It's best players play. So yeah, that's why there's uncertainty. Yeah. By the way, just quick aside, I'm with you 100 percent on Moneyball. I'm a, a longtime White Sox fan. And I, I hated that Oakland A's team that was – they turned it into the movie with Brad Pitt. They, they had an MVP. I believe the shortstop was an MVP. They didn't mention him either. You, you figured, no, they – yeah, go ahead. No, you figured the only reason they won was because some backup catcher hit 10 homers. Yeah. And, like, yeah. <laughs> rewriting history, boys. But is because, it uh, – because uh, Swisher was a high on base percentage guy. That's why they won. Yeah. Forget the fact that they had three 20-game winners. Uh, Billy Koch, before Billy Koch broke down, you know, with 40-some saves a year. I mean, they were one through three. Their starting pitchers were lethal. And that's, I mean, so, you know, I, I get it. There is a place for analytics in sports and a very valuable place. The problem is when you fall in love with the numbers, you forget the ultimate number. What is your win-loss record? I don't care how many three-pointers you took. Are you winning games? Yeah. I don't care what your defense, defensive efficiency was, was. Did you win games? And to me, the, the analytics departments and these, these MIT guys and these Yale guys that they're hiring, forget all that. The bottom line is, did you win games? And, and I, don't, I don't give a damn about what your three, how many three-pointers you make in a game. If you don't win, who cares? So um, that has to be decided of, 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 of 
what style of play is this team going to be? And then you can kind of go from there. All right. Now you've written, and then you just got finished saying that the front runners uh, for the Bulls coaching vacancy, presuming that Boylan doesn't pull a miracle uh, and keep his job, uh, uh, Yudoka and uh, Adrian Griffin. Uh, Bulls fans probably know Adrian Griffin more, uh, better, because he uh, had a stint in Chicago. Why don't you uh, sort of compare and contrast each of these two uh, coaches? Um, you know, they're very similar, so there's not a lot of contrast. But, I mean, everyone you talk to, scouts, uh, both of them just rave that both of these guys are ready. Adrian might be slightly ahead, but we're talking a, a, a fingernail. I mean, we're not talking much. Um, they both come from – they both have defensive-minded uh, background. They both – players both both love working with both guys. Um, you know, they, they, they understand championships. They understand – uh, relationships with players. I mean, they're very similar. I, I, it's a win-win. Um, and and the only the 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 outlier or the the only wrinkle in all of this, at the end of the day, the only thing that could happen to derail one of those guys. I mean, you know, look. First of all, they they you know their teams have to allow them to interview, and and who knows what happens in Philadelphia? They might fire Brett Brown, and they may say. Ime, you're the new head coach. We want you to be the head coach. And he just stays there. And, and, and you know, what would you rather have, Joel Embiid and, and, and Ben Simmons or uh, the, the uncertainty <laughs> havoc of the Bulls? I yeah. mean, so, um, you know, that, that and then he's off the market and then you got to move to your next choice. But to me, the only thing that is still out there and is still the unknown, at the end of the day, there's a guy that can stop the execution from happening. And Jerry Reinsdorf's the governor in this. He makes one call and says, no, we're sticking with Jim. I'm the owner, and that's what we're going to do. Now, I don't think he's going to do that, and I know Michael doesn't want him to do that, Michael Reinsdorf. Michael Reinsdorf um, trusts the front office that they hired, wants the front office to make that decision with no pressure from them. They've told them, look, we like Jim Boylan, but you know this is on you guys, and we trust you, and we trust the, the process that you'll go through. So, um, But at the end of the day, the big man writes those checks. And he could come in and now do I think that would force Mark and, and our, our tourists to rethink their, this job they took? Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. um, you're cutting their legs off on their first big major move. And so, um, but I don't, you know, that still, that still blows in the background wind is, does Jerry Reinsdorf save this guy? So um, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think it's going to be, you know, like I said, as long as their teams let him out, to interview and gives them permission or doesn't offer them a job themselves. Um, it'll be EMA one and, and Adrian Griffin is one B. Now you threw something out. Uh, it's been about two months. I want to say I've lost track of time. As I always point out uh, you at one point, I think you wrote about that Tom Thibodeau had expressed interest uh, in returning to the bulls. And I read that. I'm like, wow, that I remember I'm old enough to remember George Steinbrenner and Billy Martin and, and Billy Martin, yeah, yeah and it which was we like, thought, which we thought, uh, we thought Ozzy Gian and 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 Jerry Reinsdorf were going to become. I thought they'd rehire Ozzy and become a because Jerry Reinsdorf loved that whole Steinbrenner Billy Martin thing. He told us to do that a couple times. So I always thought that for some reason he would hire rehire Ozzy again, but it's, it's never happened. I, I would welcome that. I loved Ozzy Gian, but anyway, back to the Bulls. Uh, so, any possibility that Tom Thibodeau's in the mix? Uh, I think if Tom was offered the job, now that there's a new front office, Tom would take it. He has no resent whatsoever towards Jerry Reinsdorf, even though Jerry released that statement as they kicked him out the door. 
Uh, but I don't think Jerry would, would offer that to Tom. But Tom loved Chicago, loved the Bulls brand, loved the history, loved the, the, the challenge um, of, of that statue that, that, that stands in the atrium and, and not fearing that statue and returning this team to greatness. And um, I think Tom would do it, but I don't think Jerry's going to offer that up. So. All right, not fearing the statue. Let's move and uh, to the last dance. You haven't been on the show since the last dance aired. We've been doing regular last dance episodes with various people. Uh, Craig Hodges on the show talking about the last dance, uh, and uh, uh, several other uh, basketball people. Uh, for what I know, you weren't covering the Bulls in the '90s. You already explained this to me. Uh, you weren't covering right. the Bulls, uh, but uh, talk about the last dance, the era of the Chicago Bulls sort of the intimidating factor uh, that Jordan represents uh, going forward with the Bulls uh, and your uh, your memories of that era? So, yeah, I, I moved to Chicago and, and joined the Daily South Town at the, uh, no, November 1st of 97. And so they did actually have me go out and cover a couple Bulls games during that season as I was waiting for baseball to start. So I was there for that, um, the, last, that the last dance. Um, but, yeah, coming from Cleveland – what I remember, and the and the funny thing is, is you know, like you hear all these people in Chicago the last ten years complain, oh, you know, LeBron did this and LeBron stopped Derek and LeBron, everything LeBron did to the Bulls, Michael Jordan did to the Cavs, yeah. and I was in Cleveland to see it. So, um, you know, and I was a huge Michael Jordan fan, and you know, obviously the the shoes we all had the shoes, and and just uh, um, you know, what he brought. The thing that struck me about the last dance. Once it was all done, first of all, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was well done. Um, you know, shout out to Will Purdue for all the inform all the information and all the stuff he gave us every every Monday. I do a Will Purdue, you know, kind of br- breaking down the episodes or talking about the upcoming episodes and him getting punched like Kerr did by Jordan and all that kind of stuff. So he was great for the newspaper and in and all the stories he told. Um, the thing that resonated with me once it was over is I sat. Because you hear so much people say, that's it. The debate's over. <laughs> LeBron, LeBron, Jordan, the debate's over. Jordan wins. And I, first of all, I always thought it was funny to debate those two because I thought they were so different. And the last dance just showed me how different they were. Not just basketball style-wise, because it's nice to see how Jordan just destroyed non-athletic teams like Boston. Great team. Great team. Larry and McHale and... Uh, Ainge and Walton, but they had no one to guard that man. You have 63 because they had nobody to guard you. But I mean, um, but to, to, to compare those two, not just on the basketball court, but just as people and Michael's drive. And at the end of the day, Michael had to have the highest contract, had to have the best shoe, the highest grossing shoe. Everything had to be the best, the best. And it all was about Michael. And that just showed you how, how confident he was in his own will. Then you go to the other side, and LeBron, it's about, I mean, this guy wasn't the highest-paid guy on his team until he went back to Cleveland. Think about that. Until he went back to Cleveland mm. with multiple titles was the first time he was the highest-paid guy on his team. All his best friends are his high school buddies. He lifts everything around him. He wants players to take over the league as, as a unit. He wants he'll, – he'll, he'll pass off the ball for that final shot, kind of like Michael did a couple times. But, you know, Michael – at the end of the day, Michael wanted that final shot. So for LeBron, 
it, it's been about empowering everyone around him and lifting everyone around him, not only on the court, but off the court. With Michael, it's about Michael, and off the court, it's about Michael. He, I mean, he attacked people verbally and shot them down, and because at the end of the day, Michael was the biggest, you know, the biggest part of any room he walked in. So to me, that showed you just how different these guys are, and and to compare them, I think is just ridiculous because they're such different people, such different players with such different philosophies. That's what struck me the most is how one was so self-centered and great at being self-centered, but the other one is great as far as lifting everything around him and making it better and is the best to ever to ever play at doing that. So oh. that's why it's hard to compare the two. Uh, and uh, what did you think of how uh, Jerry Krause was treated in the last dance? I had no problem with that. I, I mean, Jerry, look, I, I met Jerry Krause after the fact when he was back in baseball scouting. Um, he, you know, I think he'd been humbled at that point. He actually was uh, a, a good guy to talk to on a couple of the trips I ran into him. And, um, but the way, the stories I hear about how he treated the media and the arrogance and the ego to not understand that it's, that it's not about the organization. It's not about the X's and O's. It's about the, the Jim's and Joe's as, as, as Bobby Bowden used to say, um, <laughs> to not understand that is, is ridiculous. Yeah. And so, and, and the fear is the bulls have still lived under that shadow of it. The organization is bigger than the coach and the organization is bigger than the player. Yeah. Um, and that's the wrong way to go. And you're not, you're not going to get a seventh, uh, banner up on that on in those rafters with that mentality so um that's why i thought this hire from outside of that kind of incestual family that has gone on for years and years and years that was always bulls people or white Sox people or um, you know obviously a white Sox guy did get it done but um on the bulls end of thing it was always bulls family bulls person bulls bulls to go completely outside i thought was great and i applaud michael reinsdorf for being open-eyed and and seeing that they had to stop the trend of what was going on. And and another big uh, contrast between Jordan and LeBron, of course, is LeBron James' uh, willingness, readiness uh, to take a defiant public stand uh, on issues of racism, whereas Michael Jordan because, always— uh, Again, yeah. right. And it, it gets to that point of LeBron lifts everybody and wants everybody better around him, where Michael wanted Michael to be the greatest and either follow— or get eviscerated by him. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying one is better than the other. If I'm look, I here's how I tell people always. Oh, you're from Cleveland, so no. Okay. <laughs> if I want the last shot taken, I want the 23 taking it. Michael Jordan. If I want to build a team and and start from scratch, I take LeBron James because I know LeBron James can do more with less talent around him. Where Michael. Michael ain't taking Booby Gibson to the finals like LeBron did. He ain't. He ain't doing it. Because, first of all, he would have shattered Booby Gibson's confidence so much that there would have been no – I mean, Booby Gibson was Robin on LeBron's team, that first championship team when, when LeBron was Batman. Think about that. Your second-best player was Booby Gibson, and you got that team. I, don't, I know the East was down that year. I get it. But you still – you got that team past Detroit, and you got that team to a championship. Yeah. You know, you got destroyed by the Spurs. But Michael would not have the patience to get a team like that to the championship. He just wouldn't. He'd be like, 
screw it. I'm going to go get my 50 a night because I don't trust any of these cats. So, uh, I mean, that's the huge difference. I, I, I'm going to have, we'll have to have this uh, discussion a little time later because I completely disagree with you in the last one. I saw some horrible teams and Michael Jeffrey Jordan, uh, literally let you go well Ben. they only let him to the first round of the playoffs valid point but they were so bad joe okay they were uh, well, ben, ben, here, but here's, here's the ultimate thing ben okay look at when michael jordan left to go play baseball what they how many wins did they go down to 51 uh did yeah they, they I, I see your point 51 i actually think it was okay. 54 when LeBron left, 54 when lebron left yeah they went down to 19 then when he left again, they went back down to in the teens. And not only did they drop that far down when he left, I mean, it financially destroyed an organization. I mean, the the, the, the downtown area. I mean, so, yes, I, I, I get what you're saying, that he took some bad teams. He didn't get them to a championship, but he took some bad teams because of his talent. I mean, his talent was, was unbelievable. But when you leave and your team still makes it to the Eastern Conference Finals, pretty damn good team. When LeBron left, you're back in the lottery. Fair enough. That's how good that cat was. All right, so fair, fair that, enough. That's my big thing. All right, and I'll and I'll just say this: uh, going back to your days at Cleveland, the part of the the, the show, I loved the show too. Uh, I had a lot of right. issues Same with chance. it, but I I it was I always said, but it was, as a basketball fan, it was like crack cocaine. I loved it. I just <laughs> absorbed it every night it was on. Talked about it with various guests. So you know, I I have a lot of issues with some of the things they chose to do. Like they 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 froze out uh, Craig Hodges, a good friend of the show, and I still won't forgive him for that. But um, I enjoyed it. All right, the bit about uh, where Jordan hit the shot over Elo. The, Joe Kelly, I just love this. That was great. That was great. That was great. But then they have Ron Harper saying, I should have covered him. I'm like, Ron Harper, I love you dearly. Because Ron Harper was a great player before his knee broke. Right. I mean, a great player in his own right, not just a, uh, you know, sort of a, a sidekick type player. But uh, you are not stopping Michael Jordan on that shot. I, you know what I mean? You notice how, like, the, the bravado of Ron Harper emerged in that moment? I could have stopped him. Yeah. And look, Ron Harper. Ron Harper was not the defender he ended up being. Yeah. At that time, Elo was a pretty good defender, but at the same time, the unbe- the, the great thing about that is just watching that over and over and trust me, I've seen it so many times in Cleveland because that was in the same era. They had the shot, the fumble, the drive. I mean, all <laughs> of Cleveland all of Cleveland's humiliation was given two-word title in every sport. Um, so, I mean, you know, I got to see all of it. You know, Jose Mesa blow the save against the Marlins. We got to see it all. So, on the shot, you see Elo and Jordan jump at the same time. Yeah. And then you see Elo land and you see Jordan still <laughs> yeah. in the air. And there's not another human being. I don't care what Ron Harper says or thinks he could have done. that. I mean, that was just greatness personified and that was his breakout moment. And, and uh, Cleveland never, and people forget, you know, Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Larry Nance, Hot Rod Williams, Ron Harper. That was a hell of a team. And and Michael would not let that team ever get to where it was supposed to go. And um, and that was, you know, again, just his greatness. So um, I think people, when I talk about Michael and LeBron, they think that I'm somehow knocking Michael, and I'm not. I'm just saying that it's so unfair to compare the two because they're so different. Well, so, um, yeah, I, mean, I thought the Ron Harper thing was, was great. Uh, and you know what? Getting to your point about Craig Hodges, 
The one thing I will complain about, Steve Kerr, bruh, you are not that good. I, you did not deserve <laughs> an hour, an hour of your own time. You, right. It's a great story, but Steve Kerr, you were 15 minutes a game, five points a night, bruh. You are not that good. So, uh, Listen, man, I am very bi biased. Uh, I love Craig Hodges. I loved it when he was playing. I loved his whole attitude. Right. I'm just putting aside the politics. I just, I loved his eagerness, his always willingness, always ready to take a shot. Uh, I, I'm with you 100% on that. Uh, Steve Kerr was a role player who who is very, very well known. So I can understand from right. a marketing standpoint why you put Steve Kerr in there. Uh, and he's become a face of the NBA by virtue of the fact that he's the coach of the Warriors. So I understand from – but you're 100% right. <laughs> Steve Kerr, man, they, they dressed up those two shots like they were the biggest – and Paxson, man. I know Bulls fans are all down on Paxson. And he hit – at least three of the biggest shots during the Jordan era. Right. John Paxson. Right. Exactly. And, yep. Yep. They, and the funny, funny thing is um, when you bring up Steve Kerr, the funny thing is Steve Kerr, remember it came down. Do I take the golden state job or do I take the New York job? Yeah. And the funny, and people forget if he would have taken the New York job, you know who the golden state coach was going to be. It's going to be Fred Hoiberg. Think about that. Oh my Think about God. that history. <laughs> Think about that history timeline. Right now, we'd be like, Fred Hoiberg's one of the best coaches in the NBA. Uh, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it would have been the same results, but uh, wow. It's something to think about. Uh, all right, Joe Kelly, uh, I'm going to let you go now. It's always a blast. Actually, before we go, I realized we did a uh, special where we did uh, our predictions of who would win the awards and the championship. I guess that's a wash now. Yeah, I got to go back and uh, I think we may, I may do a. Yeah, uh, I don't remember. I don't I remember. I got to go look and see. I know I predicted the Clippers would be the champions. I remember that. And I'm still sticking with that. Why not? You know what we're I'm saying? Still, uh, they're still, they're still going to do the awards because we got a notice from the NBA asking if I'm still willing to vote on the awards whenever they um, come out and are made president. So the awards cool. are still coming. They, cool. still, they still plan to have them. So, do you know um, who you're going to vote yeah, for? I think I'll, um, I mean, I'd like to see, I kind of think I know who I'm going to vote for. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to go with LeBron. Um, Giannis is right there. I, I like this, you know, I don't know if I need these eight regular season games to make that final decision. Um, but LeBron's numbers and the minutes played, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous for his age and what he's doing. So, um, I'd probably go LeBron and then I'd probably have to think about the other awards, you know, defensive player of the year, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, rookie of the year to me is the most challenging one. Do you say, you know, and I need these eight games to have it play out. I'm going Ja Morant for right now, yeah. but if Zion shows something in these eight games, gets in that play in tournament and they allow us to use the play in tournament as the criteria instead of just cutting off after those eight games, which I don't know yet. Um, you know, don't rule out Zion's impact and what he could do with the with the Pelicans moving forward. So, um, to me, that's the one that still I have to see eight regular season games to uh, make that final decision. Well, and Joe, I'm a homer that I am. I, I went with Kobe White for Rookie of the Year. Uh, <laughs> I told uh, you, yeah, man. He's not, even, he's not even in my top five, man. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and, I, and I bet last year's Defensive Player of the Year, we could just rule him out, right, for any awards? Rudy Gobert? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Rudy Go Gobert. No, he's not, not winning. He's qualified. 
Yeah, Rudy, oh, not, a, not a good move, but I think he'll recover from it. All right, uh, Joe, it was, it was a blast talking to you, and uh, I know I'm going to be uh, bugging you again in a, a few weeks as the season uh, kicks off to uh, sort of go through your predictions and what to look forward to, all right? Sounds good, my man. All right, that's a great Joe Colley. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.